Hello, welcome to our podcast, Civil War or Civil Discussion. I'm Suzanne Lee, a fellow with the Interactivity Foundation. I'm here with Adolf Gunderson, who's also a fellow at Interactivity Foundation and our research director. Our goal is to engage everyday people in conversations about policy and public life. In today's episode, we have two topics. Up first is a conversation with the CEO of a new organization called NCIV, a recent initiative joined in its earliest stages by the Interactivity Foundation. And then we will take a look back at another project we did at IF, a book we published called Let's Talk Politics. First up, I spoke with Will Ferguson, CEO of NCIV. Will, I just want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Could you please tell us a little bit about what NCIV is? Sure. We started NCIV with the purpose of creating a platform that would allow citizens to come get good information in a fun, safe environment and be able to talk about whatever the topic was. So issues, policies, current events, and then be able to come to some good ideas about what might be some pathways forward and the ability for them to then create, uh, say, op-ed pieces or other collaborative output. You know, how do you imagine, I mean, right now we're really in a rut as a society with uh, dialogue and, you know, there's a lot of incivility and, you know, how do you imagine that NCIV will change that conversation? Well, you know, there are already a lot of good civic organizations out there that do this well, that can get people together, even from different perspectives, from different places on the political spectrum, and understand each other better than they did before. So knowing how to do that piece of it isn't really the problem that we're trying to solve. We need that component that's core to what we're trying to do. But there are experts out there that know how to do that, like your Interactivity Foundation organization. There are organizations out there like Interactivity Foundation that know how to do that well. What seems to be needed is both an incentive for people to come in large numbers to that kind of solution, that kind of facilitated ability to talk to one another better than we have before. And to do that, we think we need a new capability, a new, very visible to the average citizen platform that they would encourage their neighbors or friends or people that say they're talking with in, say, a news comments section and say, well, let's talk about this here on this platform because it's, it's been really fun. I've tried it. You're willing to give it a try. So that's, that's the idea is how do we get that ability that's already out there to get people to talk politely and productively to one another to happen in really large numbers? Okay, that sounds really interesting. What inspired you to do this? Um, I was really distressed by seeing what was happening in Facebook, in Twitter, in terms of people trying to talk about topics like politics. And there was no productive activity happening. I shouldn't say there was no productive, but the vast majority of what I saw and what everyone's been seeing recently is just this mass trade-off of blasting each other, calling each other names, becoming even more tribal than we have before. It was that, that recognition that something dramatically has gone wrong that made me 
really want to try to do something. And the, the first place I, I reached out to actually was the Interactivity Foundation because of the work you do. That's really interesting because as I understand it, you come from more of the tech world. So it's interesting that you sort of saw this problem and began imagining sort of a technological solution to it. My background over the last 25 years has been in machine learning products, largely ones that, that are looking at financial transactions, looking for risk. But I, I saw an opportunity to take technology that's already out there in fragmented bits and bring it together with a number of organizations that have expertise in different areas. And it, it seemed to be that bringing together of different technologies, different experts, different organizations that was lacking. So what kinds of partners have you been working with to make all this happen? Well, of course, the Interactivity Foundation itself. Uh, two other key partners are Ballotpedia. They're an organization that provide online voter information for all mm. of the elections that happen across the United States. So we've done two pilot projects with them. Uh, one, a, a, the Des Moines School District Elections Project, where we did discussions with citizens for, before that election as well as a project in Chicago that we're just wrapping up. Another partner is Procon.org, a very good site that one can go to where they do a great job at journalistic neutrality on various topics, applying key journalistic expertise on how to look at the spectrum of possibilities of all the factors to consider on the topic and have people come and see that in large volumes. So we think that those three organizations as a starter set of partners is key to creating a platform that, that will be, be fun and informative. What have been some of your successes and challenges so far? I would say those two projects that I mentioned, the Chicago Elections Project is one where we had video chat conversations with citizens of Chicago to learn what the problems were that they thought candidates needed to address. So we were collecting questions that citizens of Chicago wanted the candidates to answer to. And so we had a number of uh, video chat sessions over a couple of months, and we did some in-person sessions in Chicago just a week ago that also complemented what we did there. You know, that was probably the, the biggest success. Um, the, the Interactivity Foundation really led the charge in terms of the facilitation and gathering the other organizations within Chicago to participate in this. But that, that would be one key success I would point to. As you asked about challenges, mm -hmm. it is that participation itself, getting people to be interested in coming to these conversations. Everyone is so busy. They don't know what they're getting into yet if they sign up for an online video chat session. So that is the key piece to solve for us or anyone who's trying to do this. If you really want to solve society's discord problems, you need to get a significant portion of society involved in the solution. A lot of people are concerned about this issue, but why do you think then that they're reticent to you know, become engaged in trying different kinds of discussion? One key piece of this is politics itself seems very heavy. And with all of the battles that have been going on online, it's not one of the first things that one thinks of when you want to have a relaxing evening. Oh, let me get online <laughs> and talk about politics. Yeah. So again, that seems to be one of the key things that we need to solve to get any significant number of participants to get involved in a solution. 
though it's interesting because the Interactivity Foundation has found with the in-person discussions that people really do come to enjoy those. You know, we often will have a discussion series and rarely do we have people drop out, you know, from subsequent discussions over a couple of different evenings because they really enjoy having the chance to hear from people with different, you know, backgrounds and perspectives. So I guess the trick would be, you know, somehow imbuing a sense in people of, you know, that you guys are offering the same sort of thing. We think that one of the key pieces of of a solution here is to make it fun. So Mm -hmm. how do you make things fun? One of the key things or one of the main things through history that people have done to have fun is to play games. A lot of talk has gone into talking about gamification. Gamification meaning applying a game approach or a points system to whatever the thing is that's being done. And in this case, online discussion about politics is one of the possibilities. But just applying points, this gamification, I think misses the point that the entire thing has to be a game. You don't just apply Mm. points or reward tokens to something that's already being done. And now, lo and behold, it's fun. The entire thing has to be a game. And if people are coming in only to play the game portion of this and they don't even get involved in a discussion, so be it. But at least you have the beginnings of a significant stream of people that are there and can be invited then to get into the discussion aspects of the game and get even more points. So what impact do you you expect that this project will have in the future? So talking about the future is a little bit hard because we we think we need to do some A-B testing all along the way. And those tests are going to tell us what path to take next and after that and so on. But at a very high level, I think what we all want to see is a society that can much more pragmatically, much more amicably talk about the problems and the potential solutions to those problems. So imagine Mm -hmm. that we have a platform that is built that provides a game environment where you can go in and play and learn about whatever you are interested in, in this game environment, and then participate with others about that same topic, and then be able to create new information about it that you come up with that then Mm -hmm. other people can begin using in the same environment. If we have people that are coming in, having a good time, coming up with good ideas, feeling good about it, telling others about it, and then using the information that they're gaining from this to be able to go out and make decisions like who are they going to vote for, which way are they going to vote for referendum, why, it's going to be a strengthening step for our democracy. That sounds really cool. Do you feel like this is you know, kind of ready for prime time. Do you feel like, do you think this is in a stage where, you know, you want to be sharing it, you know, in a podcast type of format? Yes. Um, yeah. okay. Is it ready for prime time? I mean, we cannot direct people to a platform where we can go and, and have these conversations in a seamless way. We can, of course, have, right. have these conversations in the way that we've been doing them with the Interactivity Foundation, but the platform is not built yet. Is this ready for prime time? I think isn't the question. That doing a podcast is a valuable way of putting the vision out there 
and getting interest from significant parties that can move forward with us on the next step. If the question was, is this even worth doing today? From my perspective, it's critical. So basically, you're you know looking to kind of make it more known to folks, get the word out, you know that this is something someone's thinking about, and then hope for you know more significant donors. I imagine building a platform like that is probably a pretty big undertaking. It's enormous. I mean, we're yeah. so we're targeting needing a million dollars next year, needing five million the following year. So, Will, what are the next steps you know to taking this um, idea forward? We've been working with a volunteer advisory staff over the last year to come up with what are the the key concepts that we think need to come together? Who are the key partners that would have to be connected into this to make it all work? Now it needs to take that prototyping and beta software development step and then do testing on that. So the next logical gate here is to find significant funding to get prototypes and some betas off the ground. Well, thank you, Will, for taking the time to talk with us today about this really interesting project. We'll look forward to talking to you more in the future as it develops. Thank you, Sue. It was really neat talking with Will, Adolf, and I'm very interested to hear how NCIV came about from your perspective, because I know you have some particular connections with Will. Sure, Sue. Uh, you mentioned just now that NCIV was joined early on by Interactivity Foundation, but it's even truer to say that Interactivity Foundation was the inspiration for the whole NCIV initiative. An old schoolmate of mine, whom I've known since second grade, named Will Ferguson, approached me at a class reunion two years ago and asked me what I'd been up to. I did the same a little bit later. Uh, having looked at our website, he emailed me and he said, Interactivity Foundation is doing fantastic work. I would like to help you take that work online so that you can scale up and reach many more people. Ever since, that was in February of 2017, we've been working to do just that. Not only make IF's work available online, but allow users of IF or alike kind of online discussion platform to also have access to other civic tools like informational resources, trade-off games, and the ability to publish the results of their interactions to both the general public and government officials. The stress there was on interaction between all those different functionalities, as well as knitting together the different civic organizations that provide those functionalities into a kind of umbrella group. So NCIV is both intended to be an online multifunction platform, as well as an umbrella network of civic organizations. Uh, And that's what we've been working on ever since February of 2017. Oh, well, that's really interesting, especially that you, you have such a deep connection back in time with Will and that such a fruitful endeavor came out of a class reunion. Yeah. What I've loved about NCIV is that it's involved me with a group of highly talented individuals in a completely different sphere, namely the computer technology and related areas. So it's been fun to work with them. And it's been fun because they've also shown a a really great willingness to work as a team. So far, so good. We've got a long way to go, but we're moving fast and picking up pace as we go. 
So we've, we've made significant progress in developing the platform and the organization, but we've also run a couple projects now that uh, show the promise of this approach. The latest one in Chicago, we expect to reach something on the order of 100,000 voters, which is several orders of magnitude larger than if has been able to reach using our face-to-face discussions in the first 15 years of our experience. So expect it to move ahead fast and furiously over the next six, eight months. You know, a lot of this is is aiming to, you know, use technology as a tool for addressing some of the issues of incivility, the issues that we're seeing in our democracy at epidemic rates. And that got me thinking about the project we did several years ago now, Adolf, the Let's Talk Politics book. Would you like to say a little bit about that project and how it related to civility? Sure, Sue. The Let's Talk Politics book was an attempt on your and my part to capture the outcomes of uh, its uh, public discussion efforts over the previous 10 years and also contextualize them by describing what we at IF meant by incivility and its corresponding antidote civility. And what we report on in the book is that our discussion approach, which we also outline in the book, does yield multiple outcomes, all of which are component elements of what we consider to be civility. And the principal elements, each of which has some subdivisions, are certain temperamental characteristics, certain skills, and certain habits. We found that our discussion approach led to improvements in all of those areas, and so that the IF discussion approach, when managed by ABLE facilitators, which we at IF have in abundance, does yield positive results in each of those three areas, temperament, skills, and habits all of which contribute to what we see as positive results for civility. It was neat that we were able to collect data to really evidence that talking with people after they participated in our discussions, having them participate in surveys and give us feedback about the impact that those discussions had upon them, which a lot of organizations don't really ask about. And so it was really interesting what we found from that. The other thing that I found really interesting in that project was that it kind of flips the way that we tend to think about civility. Many people think of civility in terms of being very polite and let's not talk about politics, let's not talk about religion. And in fact, really civility is to be able to talk about those things in a way that you really hear all the different sides. And to me, the, the best thing that I like to hear after a discussion, um, you know, after I facilitated a discussion, is for people who would normally never sit down together to walk away saying, wow, well, you know, I still don't agree with him or her, but I see where they're coming from. To me, that's a huge victory. We're not all going to agree on everything, but we have to be able to assume that everyone has a logic, a sensibility, a reasoning you know, a decency and good intentions. And so, you know, we, we need to have a better capacity to understand where everyone's coming from on different issues. I think that's an excellent point. I think civility is all too often understood to be a simple form of niceness or politeness, but civility doesn't mean withdrawal from politics or political discussion. It means engaging with politics and political discussion 
and doing so in a thoughtful way. What our book showed is that the data we have indicates that our discussion approach really encourages exactly that kind of thoughtful engagement. Yeah, indeed. And uh, we were talking not long ago about a speech that the second President Bush, Bush Jr. gave back in October, talking about you know where the world's heading, broader issues of civility and democracy and citizenship. He made the comment that we tend to judge other groups by their worst examples, but we tend to see ourselves in terms of our best intentions. And I think that nicely resonates with this idea that we don't always extend the best uh, regard to the intentions and motivations of others. Since World War II, America has encouraged and benefited from the global advance of free markets, from the strength of democratic alliances, and from the advance of free societies. At one level, this has been a raw calculation of interest. The 20th century features some of the worst horrors of history because dictators committed them. Free nations are less likely to threaten and fight each other. And free trade helped make America into a global economic power. I found George W. Bush's speech to be, it was remarkable in its language, its brevity, and its content, which to me all evoked nothing less than Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. He starts by saying, or very early on in the speech, he says, we are gathered in the cause of liberty, a direct echo of Lincoln's words about a new birth of freedom. And he emphasizes that theme of the entire speech, which is only three and a half pages long in written form, is the renewal of the spirit of democracy, which for W means democratic citizenship. Above all else, he spends almost a third of the speech on the Declaration of Independence and its values or ideals, the genius and values of the Constitution, and invoking Martin Luther King's respect for people of all colors. So it's a great and very short speech, one that in its emphasis on citizenship, I think, and the context of citizenship that we're involved in right now is nothing short of amazing. Yeah, I agree. It was a really impressive speech. And I think it may not be being you know, read or seen by a lot of folks, you know, that are maybe more progressive or left-leaning, who were, you know, very critical of him for, you know, various rational reasons for during his presidency. But I think sometimes people age out of the presidency in interesting ways and actually end up becoming better statesmen sometimes after they've served as the formal head of state. In his case, it's been very interesting. I've seen some commentary suggesting that his deep dive into creating portraits and working in art and having people sit before him and, you know, him drawing them in a portrait actually may have opened up, you know, some dimensions of humanity and, um, you know, just really seeing other people and other points of view, the sorts of things that we try to do in our discussions to where he's developed a broader empathy and sense of history and where this country is and where it's headed and, you know, all these sorts of things. And I think that's a great example of how, you know, we can too quickly dismiss folks, you know, with some sort of broad brush, pardon the pun about the art, but, um, you know, that we can dismiss people with a broad brush and not take into account that people change over time and their ideas change. They, it, does, it happens for all of us. Very true. 
I also like the fact that he ended the speech by saying, with each other's help and that of God, we shall overcome. I thought it was a, a very subtle and yet hugely powerful way to remind us that as dark as things may seem for us and for our republic, Americans are basically resilient. And if we remain optimistic and stay true to the values of the Declaration and the Constitution and some of our greatest leaders, the future remains bright. Well, that seems a really bright note on which to end this podcast. I'm Suzanne Lee. And I'm Adolf Gunderson. And this has been Civil War or Civil Discussion. And obviously we're erring on the side of the ladder, um, and we hope you are as well, and we thank you for listening. You can learn more about our discussion efforts at interactivityfoundation.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.